What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is extra special. I'm doing part four of the podcast highlights, where I go from the very beginning of the podcast all the way through with the latest episodes, highlighting the best moments with all these guests that I've had. Today's group of episodes include numbers 37 through 41. Big thanks to all the people that showed up and hung out on the podcast for these episodes. Make sure you check out all those episodes later if you want to. Go follow these awesome guests that I've had the privilege of hanging out with. Before we jump into today's episode, if you don't own the latest version of Ableton Live, I would be happy to hook you up with a special deal. Learn some more details about that at liveproducersonline.com slash buyableton. Save that money and yeah, go check that out. Also, if you want to hang out with me and some other Ableton homies and certified trainers, come hang out in the Discord. Just go to liveproducersonline.com slash Discord. Big thanks to all of you awesome people out there listening and supporting the podcast. Check back on Tuesdays for new episodes that I'll be doing bi-weekly right now. Starting us off is episode number 38 with Ari Herstand. He shares a lot of really good insights about working together, not having competition in the music industry, about how you should spend your time on art and business, how independent artists can make a full-time career making music, how they can reach their target audiences, and other wise thoughts. So yeah, without wasting more time, let's check it out and jump into the episodes. I don't believe in competition in the music industry. I believe that a rising tide lifts all ships. I believe that we are one big musician community together and that we're stronger when we work together and that we don't like hoard information and like we don't try to, you know, like spite others or anything. So um, I was really interested in in passing along the the knowledge that I was gaining. And then, um, you know, our estate kind of took off because there really weren't other resources out there. And then other publications asked me to write for them. And so I started writing for digital music news and music connection magazine and, um, and a bunch of others. And, uh, being able like writing for these other publications now gave me access to sit down with virtually anyone in the music industry that I wanted to talk to. And so that like before I was just some musician with a blog. Now I was a writer for digital music news who could literally talk to number three at Spotify or the head of red light management or this booking agent or any music supervisor I wanted. And so like, I took that responsibility very seriously. I'm like, okay, that kind of, um, you know, turned into the book deal. And I, uh, I then came out with the book three years ago, how to make it in the new music business. And, and, um, that's kind of how we, where, where we are now, I suppose. Like personally, I define success as making a living, supporting the kind of lifestyle I'd like to have doing what I love. That's yeah. success for me. And yeah. so it's really important for every artist to uh, set up goals initially and like lay out concrete goals. So they know what they're working towards because you know, there are artists who are making livings um, just, just digitally without touring, just putting up music on Spotify and uh, it's possible. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, but it, 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 definitely is possible. But then there are other artists like myself who love performing and they want to perform and they want to tour. And so, um, you know, doing the, digital, uh, thing and just sitting at home, um, year in, year out is not something that is as, um, um, you know, inspiring to them. And so I think every artist needs to understand what is, um, you know, their goals are and what success looks like for them. Yeah. Let's talk about the 50, 50 split, because I think that's a really important concept. Um, and I've actually updated, uh, and I, I, that concept for the second edition of the book. Um, so I can, I can touch on that now, Yeah, yeah, but basically what the 50, 50 split means is that, um, 50% of your time should be spent on the art, the music, the creation of that music, creation of that art. And 50% of your time should be spent on the business, the promotion of that art. Um, you know, now the 50, 50 rule kicks into play, uh, once you start your music career. So for a lot of the people that are just getting started and they're honing their craft and maybe they're in school or maybe they're, you know, working behind the scenes and they haven't actually started their career yet, they're spending a hundred percent of their time honing their craft, working on the art, creating their music. That's awesome. That's what they should be doing. Like that's the incubation stage. But once you've decided, okay, my music career has started and I'm ready to go for it. 
that's when the 50-50 rule kicks into play. Now, this isn't an everyday kind of thing. This isn't like, well, 1 p.m. hits, the alarm goes off, and I have to flip to the business now. Like, that's not feasible or practical. Like, personally, I can't flip on my business brain and my artist brain, flip it on and off at the, at the drop of a dime. Like yeah, I, no, I mean, if I'm going to be, yeah, <laughs> if I'm going to be working on my, my music and I'm going to be songwriting or something, that's an entire day for me. So I'll like, I won't do any business that day. I'm dedicating yeah. just this day. Yeah. You know, so like in the, when you're working on your album or on a new song or on your music, like, yeah, 80% of your time will be spent on just the music and this, you know, most days and when you're kind of working it out. But then when you're, um, when you're going to release that album, then that, that ratio flips. Now 80% of your time will be spent on the business, the promotion of this, this album. And, you know, maybe sure 20% will still be spent on the art. So this 50, 50 rule, is over the course of your entire career, it will work out that way. And I think a lot of artists and producers, um, they get caught up in the fun stuff, which is what we all want to be doing, which is the music. And they right. want to spend a hundred percent of the time on their music. Um, which sure we all do, but if you actually want to make it your career, you actually have to put in some time and effort into the business. Mm -hmm. Now I have also seen that go under the complete other end of the spectrum, believe it or not, for some artists who get so caught up with the business, they make like one album and they spend the next five years trying to just like work their career based on this one album. They don't write another song or mm -hmm. get back in the studio or make yeah. you know anything, make more music. And it's like, okay, you know, your career would probably move a lot quicker if you kept working at your craft and your art and kept creating better and better music. And, you know, kept releasing a constant stream of music because you're continuing to challenge yourself as an artist and become a better and better right. artist, producer, songwriter. Right. So, um, you know, it's really important to just kind of keep that in the back of your mind, this 50, 50 rule over the course of your entire career. Mm -hmm. Um, but now the 50, 50 rule isn't just about your time. It's also about your money. And so 50% of your money should be spent on the development and creation of your art, mm -hmm. buying gear, you know, um, all of that stuff. Um, and studio time, if you don't have your own home studio, mm -hmm. uh, hiring players, like that's all the creation of, of the art. And then 50% of your money should be spent on the promotion and marketing of that art. So Thank you. What, are, what are some ways that people can start to get their music noticed, I guess, online? Sure. So I, I think, you know, from the, be, from the get go, you have to identify who you're targeting, who your target fan base is, who your target demographic is, your potential fans are, um, because it's different based on every artist, every genre of music and every fan. So for instance, if you're targeting only people who are 55 and up, 55 years old and older, obviously you don't want to spend all of your efforts on Instagram and Snapchat. That's not where they live. That's not where they are online. You should be spending most of your efforts on Facebook. That's where they are online. So it's really important to understand that. And so that's, uh, that's like step number one is identifying who your fans are. And so like, I encourage everybody to make a list and write it like an our fans list of just like your, who you think your target fan is and where they live, uh, geographically. Sure. But like based on it's, it's, it's like a marketing exercise. It's kind of like, once you have this list, then you can figure out, okay, now where do these people exist online? Um, maybe they're in private Facebook groups based on one of the interests that you outlined. Like he's an electronic artist named, um, FM 84, um, you might know him, um, based out of That's San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. Well, basically, uh, the, the headline is when his album came out, it shot to, um, number one in three categories on Bandcamp, including synthwave, um, nice. pop category and, and, um, and San Francisco, but also it shot to, uh, it charted on the Spotify viral, uh, top 50. And he got, I think 200,000 streams within the first week and wow. totally independent artists. It's like, okay, how did he do this? Yeah. Um, basically, oh, and he got added to all of these playlists and Spotify playlists. That's why he got 200,000 yeah. streams within the first week. He was a part of the synth wave private Facebook group. 
of just other synthwave music lovers. And there were uh, 20,000 people in this group. And he was an active member. He was just a member, just like everybody else. He wasn't incessantly promoting his music. He was just just like everyone else. And he's also a graphic designer. And so he'd be posting um, graphics for his new record album cover ideas and asking people with their thoughts. So they're kind of in on, he's like, Hey, I'm about to release my, my first single of my new album. Uh, this thing I've been working on. What do you think? Which, which album cover should I run with? And so people were talking and he was engaging them. And then when the song came out, the whole group kind of felt rallied around his music. And so that's, that's, he, he started with, this is where this audience is. So it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I love the quote. Um, it says like, if you're on social media, you're renting your fans. If you're, yes. if you have email, then you actually own them. And that's, that's a great quote. And it's true. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to reach a lot of people. And from what you were saying is a lot of it is just finding that community and finding that tribe to connect with people. Right. Um, that, that concept, the renting versus owning. I mean, basically any of these social platforms can change their terms terms overnight and you lose access to your fans or you have to now pay to reach your fans or the platform dies and you lose your entire (laughs) uh, connection to your audience. Like what happened with vine, uh, or what happened, you know, with MySpace MySpace. a decade ago. And of course, classic, (laughs) um, who was, who was it? The guy that started MySpace, Tom, Tom, Tom. thank you, Tom. I I wonder how many friends he still has. I feel that he was always everybody's friend, right? When you first, Uh when you first joined MySpace, Space, yeah, he was everyone's friend. Everybody yeah. <laughs> this next episode is episode number 40 with Ivan Coraliza. He also produces under the name Ill Factor. He shares a lot of really good insights on the difference between influence and inspiration for artists. He talks about Ableton Live devices and plugins. He also talks about pitching songs for placement um, for film or ad agencies or wherever. He talks about a huge need for music content by major TV networks like Netflix. A lot of good knowledge bombs in this episode. So yeah, let's uh, check it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a difference between influence and inspiration. And it's something that I tell a lot of my Beat Academy members and and, and the fam there that influence is going to pivot you in a direction that creates your artist DNA. That's what influence is. But inspiration is where you can, um, that's adding another color to your palette to paint with. Yeah. But in, influence is what is it that you're painting? You know what I'm saying? And so, and just a, in a more practical sense, when at the very beginning stages of producing or, or being an artist, you're still trying to figure out what's my sound? Who am I? Where am I going? Uh, what's all this? And I ask this very simple question to people. is like, what does your music sound like? And oftentimes we get that well, if you like, you know, it's like a mix between hardcore right. polka and yeah. dubstep and this. Right. And I'm like, it leaves me the consumer like i don't know what that sounds like i'm literally confused but if you said hey man if you're a big fan of massive attack you know crystal method and most f you're gonna like my music and i'm like i like one of those guys so i get you know it's that instant connection so what i mean by so that's the influence you know like being able to influence you in and nurture into you know, what artists are influencing me, that's going to play a big role into what, where I'm heading as who I am as an artist. And an inspiration is like, you know, one day I went to Morocco and I, I heard this really cool sound and I want to use that in this song because it was really cool. That's, that's inspiration. So that's, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 yeah it makes total sense. You know, I forget who it was, but somebody I was reading or listening to a podcast that said like every chord progression has already been written. Yeah, it's man. Just how you interpret it for yourself. You can, create a chord progression and you know the beats that you use or the sound design you use behind it is what's going to make you unique it's going to it's going to make you 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 know and a lot of notes and progressions have already been written but it's how you recreate it for yourself and in a way that's original that makes you different that's a really smart approach as far as like online education because there's like six billion ableton live courses out there and i think yeah, man. people are wanting more hands-on grab my hand and like help me learn how to walk type of thing yeah they get or they just there's nothing we're not teaching anything new because yeah. you could even get everything that we might be teaching in a course on youtube you know right. if you work hard enough and you scramble piece everything together mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's nothing new under the sun it really is how do you find a way to uh, encourage someone and believe in them so that they are able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Cause that, that's really what happened when somebody came alongside of me and said, and linked arms with me said, man, I believe in what you got. I want to, I want to help you. 
uh that meant the world that's what jimmy douglas did for me and it's it's a big it's that's a world of of a change right there yeah and and sometimes it's just a you know and it doesn't mean that everything's rosy it doesn't mean yeah man you're doing great keep going it's like no man you you gotta here's the reality this is where you're at and this is where you're expect you you're expecting to go well, yeah. there's a big distance between the reality and your expectations. Let's bring those two closer together right. so there's less disappointment. So, right. well, let's let's kind of nerd out for a minute. We were talking about that earlier. All right. Yeah. So, like, what are some of your favorite Ableton Live devices that like are your go-to's? Saturator, hands down. Yeah. I yeah. think Saturator is probably the most amazing stock plugin. Uh, that Overdrive. Agreed. Like just those two use overdrive that much, but I know a lot of people love it. Yeah, a little. I scale back a little bit on the the overdrive and saturate. Saturate is dope, man. It just it just takes every like you know slapping on drums, slapping on everything, and it's just that great of a plugin. Mm -hmm. Of course, the um the echoes echoes great. Waiting for it. I love echo. That thing. Yeah, man. Echoes echoes amazing delay and the auto filter hands down. I think that is like the that's it like. The king of wobbles. Really. Yes, it's, it, it, it really is the the most used plugin on any of my projects. Same. Is the auto filter. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I'd say the auto filter, echo, glue compressor. Those are the only three things in my life I need. That's the one I don't use the most. Really? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I, it just has a different sound because it's representing the SSL. Mm-hmm. G bus, I believe. Yeah. But yeah, so it, it has, I feel like, kind of its own unique sound. And it's simple for people who don't know anything about compression. I feel yeah. like you don't have as many knobs. So it's just kind of like just dial it in real fast. I almost forget that I have it because I, I have all the third part of the UAD SSL and oh, the, yeah. the waves SSL. Oh, yeah. And I use those. Um, but yeah, the glue one, actually, the Cytronics, the, the guys who make one of the old, they have like the glue plugin. And I love that plugin. I used to use it before. So when I saw they were incorporating Ableton, I was like, oh, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. And and the drum bus is actually a really cool oh, plugin. Yeah, yeah drum the drum bus has been really cool. I like putting that on a piano. Like the drum yeah. bus on a piano, it instantly just brings out the mid-range. It just makes it kind of pop. You know, the OTT multi-bind dynamics uh, mm-hmm. preset, I don't use it as much. I mean, in the EDM world, it's like... It's on everything, yeah. but I, I, it's saturator and uh, auto auto filter and 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 those guys that we mentioned earlier are, are the go tos for me. Turning on soft clip on the glue compressor and then just driving the oh yeah really hard, and that's honestly my favorite saturator. It's just doing that. Yeah, it's like a really fat, gritty, warm tone to it. That's a good time. Good, I'm gonna do that right now. Y'all crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you're getting into the placement game of trying to get music yeah. on film or advertising, it's it's always good that you present it as a full-fledged song because people in that world, they don't get it. It's either going to work or not. So yeah. you can't try to, well, if you like, I can always go back and tweet. They don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, if so, it sounds good, then they're into it. Yeah. Right, exactly. If it meets what they're looking for. So I did that, submitted, nothing ever happened. And so a couple months down the road, my my publisher at, at Cobalt, they do my admin, and they were like, hey, this video game company wants to use this song that you submitted. Because I would just like, all right, send it to my sub, uh, my publisher. Just here you go, man. Have it live on the hard drive. On to the next thing. They didn't think anything of it. They came back and said, yo, this video game company wants to use this on this game. I'm like, what game? It's Assassin's Creed. I'm like, yo, I don't play games, but I know that one's dope. Uh, yeah. And so then they came back. It's like, yeah, we love it. And they 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 put it on the trailer. Trailer launched. It was it went really viral, went crazy. I started getting, they came back to me and say, look, we're getting a lot of requests for the song. But the thing is, we only have like a 30 second. It's a 30 second like snip. I was like, hmm. All right. Give me two hours. I wrote, finished the whole thing, mixed, mastered it, and and I submitted back to them. And go, why don't we do this? Let's submit it as a single. And then I came back to them. I was like, listen, I want to do something else. Let me write a whole soundtrack inspired by the video game. I was like, no, no, we already have somebody who scored it. No, 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 not score it. Let me write a song, a soundtrack inspired by the game, but you guys will release it coincidentally with the game. You officially stamp it as the official soundtrack for the game. Produced by, we'll do this whole campaign. We'll split the master rights, you and me. And what do you think? And they're like, what the, are you serious? Yeah, but we're going to release this thing next week. I'll do it next week. Don't worry about it. Wow. And so we, yeah, mapped it out, did that. And awesome. we, you know, was, that was the partnership between me and Ubisoft formed and song That's did amazing. well. And Yeah, it did. It did very well. 
Yeah, because that, that whole side of it is something that I'm still fairly new to. And I think a lot of people are as far as like royalty splits and like mm. licensing and all that kind of stuff. Like, what do you yeah. do with your music? Because there's a lot of music that people are just sitting on that could be sellable. Like it could be yeah. marketable for more than just themselves as an artist, you know, and you can make money off of that. Absolutely. Look, look at look at the landscape of how people are consuming not just music, but entertainment. Yeah. We have some mega giants. We've got Netflix and Disney and Apple all punching themselves in the face to produce content at an extremely crazy rate mm -hmm. because they're all competing. Who can bring the best content to the table? Who can entertain and allure the most people th the most? And so with that influx of content, there is need a huge need of influx of music for that content. And there's such a great opportunity now where it's like, hey, I, I've got hard drives filled of tunes that I can now easily find a home for, or at least partner up with uh, someone that can find a home for this uh, because the need is there, you know, and not just with the big guys, but everywhere. Yeah. So without going down like a huge long rabbit trail, like what advice would you give to somebody who was wanting to tap into that world as a producer? Yeah, without going too deep, um, the advice would quick tips like for yeah, yeah. Hey, cover. You know, let's let's start with where we picked up last time, nailing down the niche. You know, figuring out it, it, just because you're technically adaptable to doing deep house and then a dubstep record and then some reggae, you know, you might have the technical know-hows of how to do that. But I would say find find that sound, niche it down, and and ace that because then when you do present yourself to this opportunity, you want to be the guy or girl that people go to for that specific sound, mm -hmm. right? And that's that's what you do. So focus on that, nurture that well. And then um, and then align, you know, find people who are doing a lot of the editing on projects that you want to be a part of. A lot of people just look either for, you know, the big name companies. If you find film, if you find advertising, if you find that there are people who edit that stuff. And in that process, the editors are the ones that take the brunt of all the, the burden. Mm -hmm. And if you can alleviate, you always want to be the person to bring value to the situation. So if you can alleviate an editor, a lot of times people who are making edits, they grab stock music or they'll grab music and hey, man, I just edited it to this music. And then at the last minute, they're like, okay, we need to replace that music with something that we can license. So how would you find these editors? Like, where's a good place to start? Yeah, you can go, you can, you can go on to, like, let's say, I'm trying to make an example, maybe like uh, IDMB, uh, what's that website like for film and things like that, I, IDMB. There's like all these websites where you can just find out the editor or somebody who worked on, you know, credits for, for either a film, credits for uh, a Netflix movie or things like that. You'll see editors watch the credits at the end says yeah just take note of like you know who did the who did the who's the agency behind this commercial you know like this is the part that a lot of people don't want to do but that's the due diligence the research and like who who who's the guys what agency is behind this and then how do i just reach out and provide hey man this is i'm a, I'm a music producer based out of here mm -hmm. and my music sounds like you know imagine dragons you know, most F or whatever. Yeah. Give them three examples that your music sounds like, and then there you go. Send them to your pretty website with a couple projects. Yeah, and and then just start start dabbling in that direction, like just kind of digging in, and and then uh, and there's sites like Musicbed. There's a bunch of sites like Musicbed is a good site where you can, you know, they kind of are that hub mm -hmm. where you can d put your music on there, and then people will go to Musicbed to find it, so you can do things like that. I haven't heard of that. I'll have to check that out. Musicbed.com, I assume. Yeah, musicbed.com. Hey everyone, I wanted to take a second to let you know this episode is sponsored by Lalal AI. I actually reached out to them initially because they have an awesome service. It's an AI powered music source separation service. So basically allows you to upload a song and extract just the drums, just the vocals, etc. So musicians can easily and hassle-free use one of the world's first true solutions to extract eight stems. So that could be vocals, backing tracks, musical instrument stems, acoustic and electric guitar, piano, synthesizers, drums, and bass. It's not some kind of open source technology. Uh, this team has created and developed and tested it out from scratch, leveraging massive data volumes. And as a result, they have created a solution that outperforms all existing competitors and provides the best sound extraction from audio and even video files. If you ever heard a song where you just wanted to remix it or just pull out, say, just drums or just the bass or whatever, highly recommend you just try it out. It's not that expensive. And they were generous enough to give a discount code. If you go to 
L-A-L-A-L dot A-I. That's L-A-L-A-L dot A-I. Then use the discount code LIVEPRODUCERS20. That will save you 20% on purchasing their plus pack. And that's good until June 30th, 2022. Once again, the discount code is LIVEPRODUCERS20. And you can upload and have X amount of minutes to extract audio from just by quickly uploading your song. It literally doesn't take more than a few minutes to extract it. And it's pretty amazing technology. So check that out. There's also a link in the show notes if you want to go click that thing. And yeah, back to today's episode. So this next episode is with Kyosi. She's a really cool producer, and we go way back to the days of DubSpot. Um, she was a former marketing person for Splice. In this episode, she shares about collaborating with other producers, what that looks like, um, how she sets up her tracks for live performance. Um, she talks about some of her vocal routing, talk about humanizing electronic music, and a lot of other good stuff. This next episode is 37 with Danny and she produces under the name Kyosi. I think for each of these three tracks, like there, it's pretty split between who started the bones of it and then when we passed it off, what the other person did. So we passed the music back and forth. We we got together a lot. I live in Queens. He lives in Harlem. So like it's relatively easy for us to get together. But like yeah. I think anytime you're collaborating with somebody, just the process of talking through what you want it to be mm-hmm. and making sure you're on the same page, um, being in the same room and, and really like ad nauseum, like making sure you're on the same page all the time. And that was the overarching theme. I think another, another thing that's interesting when you're collaborating with somebody is keeping space for their ideas. I don't know about you, like sometimes I produce and I'm like, that's it. That like, that's the lick, like that's yeah. got to stay there. And yeah. And they might have thrown it away or something. Oh, you know? I, right. there were times like yeah. I like deleted everything he did. Um, you know, like I'd save it as a new file and like just like totally like delete everything and, and restore it to what I thought was perfect. And then I'd listen back to like what he did a few hours later and I'd be like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. He was so right. But there's yeah. like a, a preciousness I think you need yeah. to let go of when you're working with somebody. And you have to like remember why you started working with them in the first place. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done it if he was like a poor choice, you know. Right. Like right. I did it because he's great. Yeah, totally. Like it comes down, I think, to being able to trust that person's opinion and skill set. And then when you have that trust, it makes being in the moment and in the room so much easier and so much more magical. Well, I know that you at one point were working with Splice. I've used Splice for collaborations, but I find I'd much rather be in a room with somebody because yeah, those, nice. those moments, like you said, yeah, where it's just like that aha moment where they might have just skipped right over and you're like, no, we were, we need to keep that. That was too good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I know you can relate to this as like a solo artist, like you have your own project, you know, when you're working on something for so long by yourself, it's nice to be able to bring other people in like that to be able to expand off your creativity. So I do the similar, I do a similar thing now. I have my own solo artist name is Philia. And then I have like a Philia live band. Um, mm-hmm. Does he play live with you too? Or are you mostly just playing solo live with the stuff that he's he, also he has? Yeah, he has played live. Like for this next run of shows in 2020, I'm hoping that we'll do it together. It's just more fun. Yeah. As like somebody yeah. who goes to shows, I like it when there's more people on stage and more folks involved. Totally. So, yeah, there's yeah. more energy, I feel like, when you've got all those people up there. Yeah, uh, I agree. What are you using? Maybe we can nerd out a little bit. Like, what kind of hardware? Sure. So I, 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 I've gone through a few phases. Like, I think next time around, and the most recent shows I played um, were taking the, taking the stems. So once things had been mastered, taking the mastered mixed stems, mm-hmm. and then... Um, rearranging the tune so that it's it's not exactly like the studio version when I play it live. So maybe I want a little more space during a breakdown or I want that intro to be longer or I don't want the bass to drop quite yet. I just, yeah. I, I sort of like create space so that there is a structure and usually there's time in the middle of it somewhere for improvisation. So mm-hmm. there's like a scheduled improv section somewhere. Yeah, yeah. That's and then once I, I do that, I sort of like re-export the little bits and pieces, throw them into session view. Mm. And uh, depending on like where in the set they fall, I will do 
I'll set up like a bunch of follow actions so that I don't have to be right at the push. I use a push. Okay. Um, or sometimes I like, I do play certain parts. So I've got the push set up with like all of the stems exported and ready to go. Yeah. I've but you do a lot of your editing for the live performance and arrangement view and you just drop it over to session. Yeah. yeah. I, I like, I, I make it different and like I, I want people to come and hear something new you know even if it's just a few notes or sure. like a, a, a different totally. drop like that so yeah. I make that happen in arrangement view you know and that's a great example of like a great show is uh, I'll go see some of my favorite artists and I've heard their songs like six billion times but when right. you go see them play the same song that you love and there's like that element of surprise to it that's like just like an aha, wonderful, wow moment, I feel like for the audience, especially for somebody who knows your music really well, showing yep. up and they hear it new, it's almost like they're hearing that a new song of the same thing. It's like, yeah, people love that for sure. Man, there, especially in New York, there on any given night, there are hundreds of things that people could be doing. Hundreds. Super, That's super. never lost on me. Like anytime yeah. I have a show and there's people there, I'm like, I'm blown away that people yeah. like would take like their free night in New York city totally. and come and see me. Like it's the least I can do to like put something there that they like didn't anticipate. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like I, like I owe it to them to like do that versus just do a playback session or mm -hmm. something. Yeah. It was ridiculous how much money I spent when I lived there going to shows because every yeah. single night there's somebody that you want to see. So totally. It's good practice of budgeting your entertainment budget. Oh. Hey, this next episode is number 41 with Kermode, and he talks about his workflows DJing with Ableton Live. He shares some of his favorite hacks and workflows with live devices. So yeah, big thanks to him for joining the podcast. And without wasting time, let's dive in. But um, yeah, taking a step back, uh, Ill Gates, he had this old kind of template that he would sell, or I think he helped design for Bass Nectar. And it's essentially based around clip packs. So in Ableton, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, when you drag multiple clips out of Ableton and just into the browser, it condenses it into just like one track and then like one file name. And then right. when you drag it in, it re-expands it. So I kind of took that aspect of what he was doing. I didn't really grab anything else from the template. Um, I built my own from the ground up, but it's very similar where it's kind of clip-based. So I'm essentially DJing, but instead of my time being spent beat matching, uh, like on turntables, mm -hmm. my time's more spent triggering and rearranging loops and kind of coming up with more creative ways to get through the music and mm -hmm. to loop ideas. And yeah. I've just loved it since i first started doing it like i love that it's tactile in the way that i'm triggering clips totally um i love the possibilities in terms of preparing interesting loops or stems and yeah. i've always loved the results and even though people are like you should use turntables because it's more convenient and you're just djing anyways yeah. i still really love the result from ableton and an apc and yeah. i don't think i could achieve it through turntables i really don't and i just no. love what i'm doing that's great. And if it works for you, it works for you. And honestly, yeah. you, have, you have way more creative control, obviously, using Ableton Live. So the reality is anybody else out there in the crowd is going to have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> if it makes you feel more inspired in the moment, I feel like people will feel that, you know? And it, Yeah. And I, I've always kind of been a believer that it's more about the end result. And if people want to argue over turntables and what's the best, most official way to perform, they can waste their time arguing. I'm having fun. Yeah. I really like the result. I think the right. crowd has always liked the result. And yeah. and the way it's set up too, like with the clip clip pack method. Um so can, I can can you nerd out a little bit about that? If we just describe it. Obviously it'd be easier like if everybody listening could see this on a screen, that would be ideal. But like in a basic form, can you just explain what that looks yeah. like? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So so it takes a lot of prep and, and the prep is kind of where most of the work comes from. So I'll kind of explain that first is, so I run all my music through Melody, uh, not Melodyna, mixed and key, find out tempo key really quickly, drag it in. And I'm talking about using other people's music. My own music's another story, but uh, mm -hmm. with other people's music, drag it into Ableton in just a separate session. Mm -hmm. uh, warp, warp it into time, which doesn't take long. If you know the tempo, you can just type in the segment BPM. It takes like a few seconds to right. really line it up. And then from there, I 
create different uh, clips in session view for the different sections. So the intro would have a start point in a clip. Um, the buildup would have a start point. The chorus or the drop would have a start point, the breakdown. And mm -hmm. so I end up having like five to eight different clips of different essentially cue points in a song mm -hmm. all stacked in session view. On one track? Yeah, on one track. Okay. And, and some of them will be loops. So I like to come up with loops of specific parts of the song that are really good for creative mm -hmm. purposes too, like maybe a nice vocal or something like that, maybe the beat. And then from there, if you highlight all the clips with shift and you drag it into the browser, it condenses it into one file. Mm -hmm. And from there, I kind of have a naming convention also based off Ill Gates, which I, I just label it by tempo, artist, um, song, key, and then tags. So yeah. like genre, things like that. Yeah. And then from there, what's cool about it is a lot of people that don't understand Ableton don't like Ableton sets because they don't think they're improvisational. Like they think it's like a press play, Ableton yeah. does all the work. But really what I'm doing is I'm dragging in a clip pack and then it, that would be like loading a song on a CDJ. And then I can drag in another one. So I can, at any point in a show, completely rearrange a song, completely mm -hmm. drag in a song that was unexpected. Like mm -hmm. it gives me the ability to improvise and be very free form while still having kind of the safety of the warping in Ableton and the stability of launching with a quantize. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's really and just it. drag and drop and play. And, and yeah. then I, I've also got along the bottom of my APC. And so for anyone that doesn't know what an APC is, it's a controller with a bunch of buttons and then faders and knobs, mm -hmm. you know, but for the listeners. Oh, it's great. Yeah. And so I the buttons are how I'm triggering the clips. Um, the faders at the bottom are just typical EQs. So I have like a gain, low, mid, high for one track, oh, gain, low, mid, high for the other track. So, so you, I, you midi map the faders as EQ. Yeah. So instead of needing a DJ mixer, I have that ready to go. Nice. So I can even go places without a mixer, which is really nice. Yeah. And then knobs are just effects, which I tend to stay away from other than filters. I, I really like filtering just for getting in and out of songs. I find it oh, yeah. to be the auto filters like gold for me. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. Um, and that's primarily it. That, that's really what I'm working with for a certain amount of effects so okay. nice. reverb and delay i have sends that i go to yeah and those I are similar yeah. yeah and those are individual per track and then the the filters are individual per track too because i like to be able to use it to sometimes instead of using the eqs at the bottom i'll like yeah. filter out yeah uh but then there's a, some effects that affect the master um so they're beat repeats because i really like to glitch yeah. and that, that that how i have it set up is it's uh one button to tr so all those effects i should say the master effects they work through dummy clips in so that they only play when i'm holding down the button so that's one thing i really don't like about ableton is a lot of effects are you toggle on to turn it on yeah you toggle off to turn it off yeah which isn't very tactile so i like to press an effect and then let go and it disengages so nice. so nice. to do that everything goes to a kind of a, a in like a different track that takes the input from the other decks and then that track has dummy clips on them so the dummy okay. clips don't have any sound they're just muted clips but they exist on the track Okay. And what they do is when I trigger a dummy clip, it's, uh, have you ever played with the launch modes in the yeah. clips in Ableton? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's on repeat. And so it's on a really small repeat, like a 64th note. And oh, so nice. as, it, as it loops that 64th note in the clip envelope, it actually turns on the effects. So the effects are nice. only on as I press the button. That's smart. And, yeah, and then the second That's it releases, smart, yeah. it releases past the looping envelopeing up and goes to the off section like a 64th note later so it's really nice. quick nice that's a really smart idea yeah okay. so i so that's kind of how i do my effects so i'll have like a beat repeat where i like press to start glitching and yeah. then i'll connect that to a knob where so i'll turn it and that'll change the groove okay. so it's just so fun for glitches because then i can like trigger and then like change the groove while just like twisting a knob yeah, and then yeah. let go and it goes back to normal that's perfect
what are some of your favorite like always go to Ableton stock devices that you use Ooh, in your stock. tracks? And what do you uh, use them for? So I'll start with instruments. Uh, do it. I always use Sampler. Sampler is one of my favorite devices. It's a fun, it's a fun one. Yeah. Until recently, I was I was really into kind of the neuro esque style of sound design where you would make like a really long kind of heavily processed sample. And then you would throw that into sampler to trigger and re-manipulate and trigger with MIDI. And I was really into that for years, like years until really recently. And then I was pretty much using sampler all the time then for my bass work. So all my bass work would be throw a bass and sampler, trigger it, throw a yeah. bass and sampler, trigger it. Yeah. Um, I really love operator. I think Operate's it's great. It's so clean. It it's is. so easy. Like yeah. I find for FM synthesis, things can get really complicated, really harsh, really quickly. And operator just makes it so simple, but nice. Yeah. Um, so I love operator. So, uh, so those are kind of my go-to devices in terms of instruments, drum racks. Sometimes though, I do my drums in audio mostly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've done both. I think it's just preference. Totally yeah. Preference. And, yeah. And, yeah. And there are scenarios where I do both like trap hats where you want to draw lots of tiny little micro mm -hmm. amounts and easily manipulate velocity. Then yeah, yeah, then I'll probably do it in MIDI. In terms of effects, I re I use <laughs> believe it or not. So you, you know, have you ever like ranked your plugins in Ableton? Oh yeah, that's fun. Yeah, see how, yeah. So utility is always my number one by a huge margin, <laughs> which, is, which yeah. is hilarious. No, I mean utility is um, great, man. Like it's so simple, but yet you can use it for so many different ways. Yeah, yeah. like I, I always use it for. I mean, the volume's an obvious one. Right. I love it for just it's easy awesome. volume automation. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I really like it for the mid-side splitting capabilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So unfortunately, with ten, if you're uh, if anyone else is unaware, it doesn't just automatically split the mids and sides when you do like when you move the wide width knob away from a uh, hundred. Now it just increases the sides or decreases it, mm -hmm. while the old version would split it. But if you right click it, if if you right click it, it can you go to mid side mode. mode. Yeah, well, and you can do that too. You can do split stereo mode on the track and interact that with the utility too. Yeah, get real crazy with it. Yeah, so that that's my main use for it because I I really think mid side processing is mm -hmm. insanely important. Yeah, um, I love Saturator. I think Saturator is a phenomenal yes. distortion plugin. Yes, incredible not only for tone but also uh, getting the most headroom. I find just the it, the clip the soft clipping feature mm -hmm. in it amazing. I just love it. It is oh totally. It's like a everything you'd want in a compressor. And yeah. in a in a distortion pedal because it gives you the best of both, right? Yeah. And if you're I, driving that input, you're compressing the signal at the same time. So, exactly. Like two birds with one stone, and it sounds great. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And then uh, auto filter, I definitely use a ton. Like I actually don't use many other filters. Serums filters are obviously like amazing. Yeah, they're nice. But but they're more. I use them more for the effects, like the. Mm -hmm. The flanger filter and the yeah subtle filter. movement and type of things yeah yeah but the auto filter in Ableton I think is it does the job it does so this next episode is episode number thirty nine where I talk about using different Ableton Live devices different tips and tricks and hacks and stuff uh, so in this one I talk about using Live's velocity I talk about quickly swapping sounds using one MIDI note with an instrument rack. And using the chain selector, I talk about auto pan and having fun freezing delays and reverbs. So yeah, check it out. Oftentimes, if you're just quickly producing, sometimes you have to go back and adjust the MIDI velocity of how hard some of the snare or kick drum or hi-hat or whatever is being played. You know, even if you are playing keyboard or something and some of the notes are like really quiet or really loud, you can kind of control the velocity with the velocity MIDI effect. Throw that in there. A lot of times I'll drag and drop that onto the, the insert of the cell and the drum rack, say like the kick drum. And then you can use different modes in the velocity MIDI effect, such as like fixed. When you set it to fixed, the output high says that you can have that 
velocity only play at one fixed velocity. So that kick drum will always hit at like, say, 110. Um, but then you also have clip mode, which you can adjust the low and the high. So you can set a range and saying, I don't want the snare to hit louder than this point, or I don't want the snare to hit lower than this point. So it's a really quick way just to kind of be able to control how loud or how quiet uh, each note is being triggered um, for any MIDI instruments. Another tip that I use um, for creating like a drop, say if you're really into bass music or like dubstep or really I mean any genre of music where you have a lot of different sounds cutting in and out of each other. What I would do is I would create a instrument rack this is a really fast way to have sounds interchange. If you create an instrument rack and then you go into that instrument rack and you create multiple new chains. So if you just drop a new instrument rack on a track, you open up the chain view. If you right click, you can choose create chain. And when you do that, you can create multiple different chains. And then what you can do is you can drag and drop, say, serum or wavetable or operator. Um, any instrument you want into those chains individually. And then when you have those different chains, what you could do is you can go into the chain view. So at the top, it says key velocity chain. You can basically create these different values where you have a chain being triggered by a specific range. Um, so what I would do is I would go into the chain view and you can say from zero to 16 is going to be my serum patch where I'm playing just a serum plug-in of a crazy bass wobble, right? And then I could, in the second chain, make that uh, range from like 16 to 30. And then that can just be my crazy synth sound from Omnisphere or a plug-in like that. And then I can drop another plug-in on the third chain, say like Ableton's Wavetable, right? And then I can create that chain from like 32 to 40 or so. And then what I would do is I would go in and just take a bunch of MIDI notes in a clip, right? So just create a blank clip for the track that this instrument rack is on. And I would just play out a bunch of different notes and kind of stretch them out. Maybe grab like four or five notes, just stretch them out pretty long in that chain view inside the instrument rack. Now that you've drawn out those, say, three or four different values, um, you can just basically automate on the track so if you open up and say like an arrangement view you open up the automation lane then you can just drag the chain selector which is going to say i'm going to go from that serum plugin to that omnisphere synth to that wavetable instrument right so you got three instruments in the instrument rack and then you can just automate that chain selector to go back and forth between those three different plugins it's a really fast easy way just to make a drop have a ton of different variety where there's those three sounds just jumping around between each other. Another tip for you guys is using the auto pan. I am in love with this thing. The auto pan is literally God's gift to mankind. I use it just to create a subtle variety of different things, tambourines, um, so that something doesn't just stay in the middle of the mix all the time and just kind of can be stagnant and boring uh, but the auto pan is a great way just to kind of mix it up and add a little bit of flavor to what's going on mostly i use it for percussion or for like say i chop up some vocal effect that's only happening for eight bars or so and i'll just kind of have it slowly move from the left to the right um, speaker so the auto pan is a really fun way to do that kind of stuff you can also use the auto pan to make things pump, almost kind of like a side chaining effect. Um, and just kind of say like that four on the floor pumping motion, you can use the auto pan for that. And what I would do is I would just throw the auto pan on a track and to get that kind of pumping sound in motion, uh, you can choose invert, um, which it has normal or invert, you can choose invert and then turn up the amount to 100%. And then you can set the rate say to quarter notes to make it have that kind of pumping motion that feel and then you want to pull the phase all the way down to zero that way it's no longer having the auto pan go to the left and right speaker but now rather the phase is just causing the entire volume to cut in and out um, if you turn shape up to 100 percent, it's just going to literally cut in and out instantly so kind of dial that in to taste 
Um, and yeah, pull the phase down to zero, set the rate, turn the amount all the way up. So right under the rate knob, you'll see that you can adjust it based off of however fast or slow you want it to be. So you can lock it into Ableton's BPM that way. So if you go into reverb, there's a little button that says freeze and same thing on the delay. You can freeze the delay or the reverb tail as it's happening. And what that's gonna do is just gonna cause that reverb or that delay just to continue to cycle and repeat over and over. And it can create like this really cool, long spaced out, washed out effect. If you really wanna take it to the next level, you could automate the dry wet knob on that reverb delay to slowly turn up. And then if you are familiar with resampling, so then what I'll do is I'll just record that freeze tail of the reverb or delay, and then take that new audio track with just that frozen delay and um, reverb, and then I can just use that as like its own separate effect. And then I'll just go back to the original track with that reverb or delay on it and delete that. Uh, reverb or delay so that the track that pad is back to normal the way it was sounding before and then I have that new printed copy of just the tail of that reverb or delay and then you can use that for anything you want some special effect you can chop it up maybe put an auto filter on it or really whatever you want to do Thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. Check back Tuesdays for new episodes. If you want to be the first to get new episodes, join the newsletter and I'll send you some free Ableton devices and downloads and you'll be one of the cool kids to get new episodes when they first come out. So yeah, join. Go to liveproducersonline.com slash newsletter. Also join the Discord if you want to hang out with me and the community, talk about podcast episodes, nerd out about other Ableton stuff. We just started a new channel for sharing unreleased tracks that you're working on. So if you want to pop in there, get some feedback. If you want personal feedback from me and other certified trainers, then join the membership and that will give you VIP access in the Discord. Just go to liveproducersonline.com slash Discord. Have an amazing week or weekend whenever you're listening and I will see you soon.